Professor Grunsplatter's Spookatorium. I am your curator, Professor Grunsplatter. Beyond these doors crouch the wonders, horrors, and wry smiles of an uncanny world. This world, your world. Should you choose to come inside, the sounds and stories that the shadows tell will be yours to behold. Make no mistake, it is a place of questions, not answers. A place where the tickle in your belly or the twitch in your eye simply mean you're paying attention. But then if you weren't curious, you wouldn't be here. There will be no refunds once you enter. Thank you for your attention and the brave ones.
Greetings, and welcome to episode 36 of Professor Gruntsplatter's Spookatorium. I am your host, Professor Gruntsplatter. Uh, the show opened with Intersigno's song, uh, Sons of Doom. And then the last track you heard there was Thesmophobia by Ore, uh, and that was off the Moore's Omnibus 1 compilation on Alter Records. Uh, they have an EP that's really good too, but the tracks on that are longer, so I went with the comp track. Uh, coming up in a little bit, I've got a story about the history of the Sin Eater and a little something about the superstitions surrounding the hangman's rope. But first, this is Belt with Black and Tan. <laughs>
Images in Silence with Trauma Ward from the clinical trials release on Transfernus. Uh, before that, we had Swarm Intelligence with The Sinners Lie in the Forest, and opening the set was um, Belt with Black and Tan from the 1995 release, The Killing Verdict. 
candles flicker over sigils and arcane tomes. Let us peer into the shadowed corners where esoteric knowledge blooms. A 1911 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica describes it this way. Sin Eater, a man who for a trifling payment was believed to take upon himself by means of food or drink the sins of a deceased person. The idea of transferring a life of sin through food uh, can likely trace its origins back to the idea of the scapegoat. In theory, this left the deceased person unhindered by their poor choices as they transitioned to the afterlife, with that burden instead being passed on to the sin eater. The practice of sin eating was largely but not exclusively found in the British Isles. Uh, Edward Hartland's essay, The Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics, written in 1921, cites instances of sin eating going back to the mid-1600s. Quote, uh, This custom, though rarely used in our day, yet by some people was observed even in the strictest times of Presbyterian government. The kindred of a woman deceased had this ceremony punctually performed according to her will. A woman kept many years before her death a massard bowl for the sin eater. Referring to it as an ancient custom is notable. The time between the mid-1800s and the first quarter of the 1900s seems to have been the most active in the sparse records that I found, but accounts at that time indicate that it was on the wane. Uh, it's difficult to determine if the later reports are due to it having a resurgence, or if it was simply that there was just better record-keeping of what was happening than there was uh, in earlier times. The mention that a bull was kept for years specifically for this ritual is intriguing to me. Uh, was the bull a family treasure that was passed down as a way to stay connected to ancestors? Was it something that was ritually prepared or used for other offerings before fulfilling its ultimate role? Uh, these possibilities seem contrary to the social place that the sin eater occupied in the later accounts. It's an odd juxtaposition that the vessel would be treasured while the recipients of its contents are shunned. Natalie Zarelli uh, had a piece that was on Atlas Obscura that, um, this is a quote from, because of the religious climate of the time, people who took the idea of sin seriously and were eager to reach heaven free of their misdeeds, they needed a sin eater to come around every once in a while. Most of the time, being a sin eater meant that you were homeless and a social pariah. Nevertheless, sin eaters in the United Kingdom were expected to attend funerals and wakes when they were notified of a local death. So rather than being seen as a, in the light of a confessor, the sin eater was viewed as a, a butcher's pit of poison thoughts and devilry. I'm sure there are those that doubted the concept of sin in the afterlife, that were happy to take the food with little concern for themselves. Others, the, others though, I would imagine were ensnared in the same religious thinking that made the sin eater a necessary visitor at the deathbed. They weren't approaching it from a place of piety so much as desperation, and given the role of the clergy and the sin-absolving nature of Christ, one wonders if the sin eater's biggest fault might have been just their presentation. In the book Funeral Customs, Their Origin and Development by Bertram S. Puckle, uh, he had this to say about sin eaters. Uh, Professor Evans of the Presbyterian College, Carmarthen, actually saw a sin eater about the year 1825 who was then living near Lallanwag, Cardiganshire. 
Abhorred by the superstitious villagers as a thing unclean, the Sin Eater cut himself off from all social intercourse with his fellow creatures by reason of the life he had chosen. He lived as a rule in a remote place by himself, and those who chanced to meet him avoided him as they would a leper. This unfortunate was held to be the associate of evil spirits and given to witchcraft, incantations, and unholy practices. Only when a death took place did they seek him out, and when his purpose was accomplished they burned the wooden bowl and platter from which he had eaten the food, handed across, or placed on the corpse for his consumption. Beyond the bleak picture of a destitute person surrendering their eternal peace for a small meal, it also happened that the sinful food was sometimes given to the unsuspecting. Uh, David Pickering in the Castle Dictionary of Superstitions said food that was placed on or near a corpse was serendipitously fed to a beggar or to some other person unaware of the situation so that they absorbed the dead person's sin unknowingly. Now the spiritual understanding being what it was, foisting your sins upon another for a small bribe strikes me as sufficiently sinful, but to do that to someone without their knowledge is the spiritual equivalent of poisoning the well. Sin Eaters appeared in the fiction of the day as well. Fiona McLeod's 1895 book, The Sin Eater, alludes to a deeper superstition related to the transfer of sins, that of the corpse itself making sure that the intended deed had transpired as, as planned. It's a longer passage from the book, but the gist of it is that the corpse itself would watch to ensure the act had transpired, and once it was satisfied, it would reposition itself for burial. The practice eventually gave way to a more symbolic gestures and spread from the UK to other regions of Europe. Um, in, that's the same volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica in 1911 says, uh, after a preliminary service had been held over the coffin in the house, a woman poured out a glass of wine for each bearer and handed it to them across the coffin with a funeral biscuit. In Upper Bavaria, sin eating still survives. A corpse cake is placed on the breast of the dead and then eaten by the nearest relative, while in the Balkan Peninsula, a small bread image of the deceased is made and eaten by the survivor of the family. The Dutch dead cakes mark with, marked with the initials of the deceased introduced into America in the 17th century were long given to the attendants at funerals in Old New York. The burial cakes, which are still made in parts of rural England, for example, Lincolnshire and Cumberland, are also most certainly a relic of sin eating. There's evidence that the practice was brought to the United States, particularly to Appalachian regions. Uh, these reports are rooted in folklore more so than the kind of religious reports that can be found um, in the UK. There's an interesting shift in tone once the practice appears in the U.S. An article by Thomas Byers called Do You Know That Sin Eaters Were Once Real uh, outlines this scenario. Quote, Quite often, especially in western North Carolina, the identity of the Sin Eater was kept hidden so that no one in the community knew who the Sin Eater was. My grandmother told that in her community, when she was a young girl, the Sin Eater wore a costume. She said that the Sin Eater that came to her community also went to other communities around the same area where she lived as a young girl. Uh, Ozark Magic uh, has a report referencing a modern-day performance of the, of the ritual to ease the distress of the dying family members so that they might pass peaceably. Superstitious or not, reality is constructed of beliefs about what reality is. Your perception creates your reality. Whether the light in the sky is a UFO or not, 
Whether the shape at the end of the hall is a ghost or not, or whether judgment is waiting at death or not, is inconsequential. That's the reality for the experiencer, for the person swamped in shame and fear in their last moments. And that reality, the reason for summoning the Sin Eater, is also the thing that makes it such a selfish act. Damn another so that you may move forward unburdened. That the Sin Eater isn't viewed with the slightest reverence for their actions makes them a curious and sympathetic figure in history. This track is called Evil is a Point of View from Tribe of Circle.
time exists to showcase music and ideas. I am not an expert at anything, and I have no agenda beyond fostering curiosity. The show is not monetized on any platform. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others. A video version is available on the Cryonic Mind YouTube page. If you can like, subscribe, comment, etc., it helps the show's visibility. If your music was featured here and you'd prefer it was not, let me know and I will remove it from the feed. You can reach the show at spookatorium at gmail.com. The website can be found at spookatorium.org, and your comments are always welcome. Thanks very much for spending some time here.
was Drape Excrement with Dead Letters from their 2003 release on Art Concrete called Borrowed Time. Before that was Volunteer Coroner with the track Crimson Pit. And that set started with uh, Tribe of Circle and the song Evil is a Point of View. Here in the cobweb corridors of the Library of Curios, the relics of imagination and secret knowledge await your wondering gaze. There are reports going back as far as the Roman Empire of using a piece of rope tied around the temples as a cure for a headache. Uh, During the heyday of public executions in the British Isles, when actual medical treatments were limited for everyone and exposure to disease was pervasive, uh, particularly for the commoners, superstition and folk remedies grew out of the artifacts of the condemned. The hangman's rope was believed to have a number of beneficial properties, both medicinal and in life. The executioners were able to sell pieces and even strands of the rope to those who believed they could cure all manner of ailments, from fevers to toothaches, seizures to headaches. There are references to the same practice in the Russian folklore in the late 1800s. Similar properties also thought to exist in the rope of a suicide victim. Beyond the rope, there was also the idea of the gallows touch, that the brushing of the hand of the executed over an area of affliction was said to have healing powers. Interestingly, the rope also had a second field of application in that of a lucky charm, and thus beyond being sought out as a way to heal ailments, they had yet to understand a piece of rope or even wearing the entire apparatus of the noose around the neck became a sought-after advantage for gamblers and those wishing to turn their luck. The volume of executions during the era made these type of talismans easily available and became a lucrative side hustle for the people in the execution game to make money from those who coveted the assumed powers that the curiosities held. Looking back through these types of things, I always think about the initiating event. Who was the first person that decided this was the thing that will help me? And what must have unfolded for it to catch on and spread through the public into far-flung regions into what ultimately became a common understanding of the time. The idea that the rope used to execute the condemned or someone to take their own life with was not an item filled with bad omens used to curse, but instead was the missing piece in healing your debilitating ailment or turning your luck at the card table. Consider the level of misery that establishes the context where all of that makes sense. This is The Hangman's Rope by The Pain Teens.
opening that set was Paintings with Hangman's Rope off the Stimulation Festival record. Following that, you heard uh, Shallow Waves with Degradation from their Echoes of a Collapse EP. And the last one there was Dismal Thoughts within the Cold Depths. Uh, I reckon that about does it for this episode. Thank you for stopping into the Spookatorium. I am going to end this one with a tribute to my kitty, Kazaya, who crossed over this past week. This is AMQA. Cats are neat. Cats eat when they sleep on your feet. Cats are cool when they fall you to school. Cats are mad when they chew on your dad. Cats are fun when they play with your tongue. Cats eat, cats eat. Cats need, cats need, no, 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 no